craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon. It's so good to see you. So good to be together. And uh, I'm Glenn Hoover, one of the pastors here. At Grace Downtown, and if this is your second week back after over 13 months, 14 months, or your first week back, or maybe your first time ever to worship with us, welcome. That's what we've done. We've uh, gathered back together in faith, and we're going to keep doing that. And, uh, you know, we're kind of phasing in, evolving ministry. And part of that is our kids are with us in worship. And parents, I just want to say this to you. Don't stress out. We're glad the kids are in here. Kids, we're glad that you're here. This isn't a library. It's a gathering of God's people. Amen? It's good for Presbyterians to be disturbed. So um, let me uh, pray. God, we're so grateful. Uh, your presence, you're present with individuals, but there is something unique because when you're present in a bunch of individuals, it's even more powerful as we sing and see one another and gather together. Thank you for instituting us to do this weekly, commanding us to do it for our joy. And right now, as we spend uh, a concentrated time just with your living word, We're asking you to work powerfully because of who you are and whose word it is and everything you've done through your son, Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we are going to conclude our series on the Holy Spirit, which we've been doing throughout the spring, mostly online. And we'll conclude with the topic of the Spirit's creativity. The Holy Spirit's creativity. Now, if there's one belief that is shared across people, no matter what their religious perspective is, it's the universe, the world, us, someone is behind all of this. Some creator, some designer. And even if you're here and you're a skeptic, it might be that when you marvel over some mountains, or gasp at a sunset, you feel this impulse to be grateful, to say thanks. The Spirit of God's work in creation 
But beyond that, the Spirit of God at work in you and I is such a rich, rich topic. And it's one that we don't spend a lot of time thinking about. So I'm glad that we're ending this series with this topic. Edith Schaefer said this, God was the first sculptor forming mountains using a variety of stone textures. White marble near Pisa, granite streak terracotta in the Grand Canyon. Anybody been to the Grand Canyon here? Okay, I've never been there. Hope I get there before uh, God takes me home. Um, And then the green stone of Zermatt. God was not only the first sculptor, God was the first lighting designer. The dark purples and reds of the morning sky, the white sea foam highlighted by the moonlight. God was the first landscape architect, of course, with the Garden of Eden. And this creative God, this creativity of God, is a three-person affair. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One church father has said that God the Father has two hands of creation. The one hand is the Son, of whom we read, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Talking about God the Son. And the second hand is the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're going to focus our attention for the time that we have in today's worship service. Two things. Beholding the creativity of the Spirit and reflecting the creativity of the Spirit. Let's look at those two things together. First of all, beholding the creativity of the Spirit. Now, this past spring, there was a bird nest under construction um, uh, on the ledge of our transom window in the front door. And I have to confess, I was a skeptic. Uh, It was a couple weeks before the thing actually could... I mean, it was just like on an edge... But, you know, I shouldn't have doubted the bird. Because the bird accomplished the nest and, of course, laid some eggs, sat in there. And any time the bird wasn't in the nest, in fact, it was almost like an alarm. We would open our door, it would fly to the branch opposite, and it would just sound the alarm. Chirp, chirp, chirp. You know, probably saying, you know, you better watch out, stay away, be on your guard. But there would be other times it was just perched there staring at that nest. That might be a good little way into understanding the Holy Spirit at creation. In the book of Genesis, we're told, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. You know that. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That Hebrew word is referring to a bird that hovers. The person of God who executed the vision And the plans of creation was the Holy Spirit. One Old Testament scholar says this. The universe owes its being to the Holy Spirit. Another writer says this. The Spirit is behind harvest and springtime, gravity and thermodynamics, general relativity and quantum mechanics. He promotes order and beauty in our world. And if if the Spirit were to withdraw... All things would collapse. He is the co-creator. He is the sustainer. And he is the one that empowers, inspires, and equips you and I as small C creators. 
You see that in the passage here. Bezalel and others. And you know what's striking about this passage? This is the first time in the Bible someone is said to have been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the first time. Not a prophet, not a priest, not even a king, but a craftsman. Who would have thought? And not only that, if you look at the the, the several chapters around the building of the tabernacle, chapter 28, 31, that we're in, 35 and 36, repeatedly you find the mention of the Spirit over and over and over. It's not just a one-off. And one of the other striking things is the way Spirit is coupled with skill. For instance, in chapter 28, you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill. Now the Bible's not repeating itself. If it does, rather, it's to make a point. The spirit and skillfulness go hand in hand. The creativity of the spirit is skillful. Now, when we first started the Grace DC project back in 2003, and um, we began to gather publicly, and we began to sing, I requested that you only come forward to audition for the music team if you had studied seriously, you had performed in a public setting, organized, or you were a professional musician. This upset some people. Now, I wasn't saying that only professional musicians can make a joyful noise or you know, play around a campfire or lead a, a Bible study in worship. But rather, the closer and closer you get to public formal worship, the more skill that's demanded. And you find that in this passage. The Lord just didn't say anybody, but those who have that skill in equipping. Thank God for the skilled an equipped music team that we have. And that's not the only skill. We'll get into that. The Lord expected his public place of worship to have that skill. Why? Because skill is related to beauty, and beauty is related to glory, and both of those are related to God. Again, in chapter 28, the Lord says to Moses, you need to make some garments for Aaron, the high priest. And Moses doesn't say, well, I'm the most spiritual. I guess I should make them. Why? Because they had to be for glory and beauty. That's why the Lord says make them. That's the purpose of it. You know, someone's written a book called Art Needs No Justification. Right? When I was an early, when I was wrestling, I, I didn't grow up in the faith. I was always into music. A musician, and then I had this faith, and I wrestled so much. I remember arguing with a friend of mine, you know, that all music had to explicitly refer to God or worship. And he, he was just, you know, he would just would not let me go. He was going, listen, art doesn't need justification, right? It doesn't need, and beauty doesn't need justification. We'll, we'll get more into that. But listen to Isaiah. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory 
and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. Did you hear the connection between beauty and glory? You see, the tabernacle, then later the temple, was to be a visual representation of the beauty of God, his relationship to his people, and his faithful love. I mean, if they looked at something and it had that purpose and it was just thrown together, what would they think of God? And that isn't to say, again, that all creativity has to explicitly have an end of worship or God. I mean, God, it says in Genesis, created the stars. He created beasts. He even created creepy, crawly things. Maybe even cicadas. (laughs) And afterwards, surprisingly, he said, good. So God was making non-explicitly worship stuff and saying, good. That means you and I can too. The standard, though, must be, is it true, is it good, is it beautiful? You can go to the book of Philippians. That's creativity that is glorifying to God. Now, let me give you an example. You know, if you write a story, imagine you write a story, someone writes a story, and uh, it really has goodness and beautiful in it, but it really doesn't tell the truth about how broken the world is. It doesn't tell the truth about the tragedy of sin like the Bible does. Well, it's failed the standard. Or maybe you have a piece of art, a film, that only tells you about the brokenness of the world, doesn't tell you about the hope of redemption. It's not true. There's many things God calls us to as we think about our creativity. The Spirit will skillfully produce... What is good, what is true, what is beautiful. But that gets us to the second point. Reflecting the Spirit's creativity. The Spirit's greatest... I'll pose it as a question. And kids... Kids, listen to me. Look at me. I'm going to ask you a question. What is God's best creation? Hand in the back. We. Is that what it says? We? I love it. I love the, uh, the royal we. From the mouth. She's exactly right. God's best creation, the Holy Spirit's best creation is humankind, you and me. Because why? We uniquely reflect the glory of God. A couple years ago, we had a retreat. Remember those? We used to do those. We're going to do another one. I'm giving you, giving you a little heads up there, even if I don't have permission to. So, and Pastor Irwin spoke, and if you haven't read his book, Beautiful Community, you should read it. It's just inspiring. But in it, he reminded us that the image of God isn't just one person. It's a collective. It's a corporate idea. Every ethnicity, every race, male and female, the image of God. We reflect the image of God. And part of that reflection, my friends, a big part, you see in the book of Genesis, where God says to the image bearers, look at all these raw materials, go develop and cultivate. It's in our DNA, it's in our blood, we can't get away from it. When our daughter Madeline was, I think she was probably two, she was still in a crib, maybe she was older and we just kept her in there, I don't know. But, uh, but uh, we... Uh, came in there, I think it was, you know, after her nap, and she was playing with her stuffed animals, and we noticed 
She had tied all the arms of the stuffed animals behind her with a hairband with a Lego. And, you know, my first thought was, this kid might need some counseling. You know, I was wondering, are they, you know, is she torturing these, you know, animals? What's going on? And we said, Maddie, what are are you doing? And she looked at us with bright eyes and said, backpacks. You know, she had seen the bigger kids with backpacks, so she thought her stuffed animals should have one. That's the the Lego and the hairband, right? Kids are some of the most beautiful displays of, you know, we, I know, you know, I know two things about you. I know two things about you. One is you were made in God's image, and the second is that you are creative. You are creative. You can't not be made in the image of God. But we're going to get to that. So, one of the uh, things that's happened sometimes in our culture is people have been led to believe that only artists are creative. And thankfully, you know, research is, is spreading that out a bit. You know, they, they can look at the brain and see that creativity isn't just for right-brain people. It's a whole-brain thing. And as they study different vocations and jobs, they can go, wow, there's creativity in every sort of sphere, but we can just go to the tabernacle. What does artistry and creativity look like? What are we told? Well, it involved blueprints, making blueprints, carpentry, chiseling. All these sort of everyday tasks that we would chalk up and say, well, that's not very creative. Dying materials and all sorts of skill, it says, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. It's not just for crafty people. The ability to understand instructions. The ability to solve problems. The ability to actually perform the work. Some of the great Hebrew scholars, Kyle and Dalich, who ever lived, said in this passage, chapter 31, what's being communicated is the quality of the workers was they were skilled to think out inventions. Skilled to think out inventions. Creativity. So while Bezalel and Aholav are... Marked out and lifted up. Verse 6 says, The Lord gave to all able men the ability. And not to leave the sisters out. In chapter 35, it talks about the women who were skilled working on the tabernacle. And so, creativity may look different than you thought. For some of you, maybe it's playing the guitar. For some of you, maybe it's singing. For others of you, it might be writing code. For others of you, it might be developing policy. For some of you, it might be teaching. For some of you, it might be medical research. For some of you, it might be event planning. For some of you, it actually might be putting together a budget. The creativity of the Holy Spirit at work in His people. Now, I do want to say a word about artists because artists many times in the church have been uh, misunderstood and judged because they don't use their skills to... Uh, work within the church, or maybe they don't write worship music, or the only thing they're ever asked about is, oh, you're an artist, great, can you paint Noah's Ark on the, the nursery wall? You know, and then they show them some of the other work, and they're like, please don't bring that into the nursery, ever, right? It's just, it, 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 so artists have taken it on the chin. Uh, this passage, I was reading a really good commentary by a guy named Phil Riken on Exodus, In this chapter, he singles out artists, and listen to this quote. 
If you're an artist, you'll be encouraged. If you're not explicitly vocationally an artist, you can encourage people with this. Artists are called and gifted personally, as if by name, to make things for the glory of God. The call should be pursued no matter what sacrifices are required. Most artists face difficult decisions about meeting their practical needs, doing something not directly related to their artwork. But the one thing artists should never do is abandon their calling. If you are called to be an artist, be an artist. God's gifts are never to be hidden, never to be denied. Even if sometimes for reasons of practical necessity, art becomes an avocation rather than a vocation, it should still be pursued with passion and a strong sense of purpose. This is, this is a unique thing that the Christian faith brings. The Christian faith has a basis by which to make that statement. But again, the creativity isn't just one group. At our first elder retreat 15 years ago, one of the questions that I asked the elders was, what is one area of creativity in your life you intend to develop? Because it's essential to who you and I are. You know, and, and there's a whole thing we could go into right now about rest and why rest from work is so important because you can't be creative if you're not rested. Right? It all flows together, God's Sabbath and the work. But let's round third and go home here. Now, the Spirit enters our lives, renews us, recreates us, and we need that work. One, one of the tragedies, one of the tragic things about mankind's alliance with sin and evil is the way creativity is deployed for sinful ends, destructive ends. Creativity for the purpose of scheming, for the purpose of deception, for the purpose of greed, for the purpose of objectification. It's, you know, there's no end to how creativity can be misused. And each of us, bears guilt for how we vandalized the world, vandalized our neighbor, vandalized ourselves, failed to be stewards, each of us in his need of redemption. But this is where the good news of the gospel meets us. You know, the very fact that truth and beauty endure today is a sign of God's grace. It's meant to lead you and I to him. And when we get to him, we then behold the most creative act, the most creative drama ever performed in the world. And that is where God the Creator would come and take on the flesh of the creation and become unmade. That the Creator would come and He would subject Himself to the destructive ends of creativity, like being crucified, and he would become ugly with our guilt and our sin. Why? So that he might wash you and me. That we might appear before him with splendor, without spot, and without blemish. Created in true righteousness and holiness, as the book of Ephesians says. And so the age of destruction ends and the age of reconstruction begins. And then we're given the promise that in the future, creativity will be unleashed like no eye has seen and no ear has heard. 
As one person said, we will blossom in places we didn't know we had buds. This is the creativity of the Holy Spirit, the work that he will do. Johnny Ive, who was uh, Apple's senior VP designer, once said this. I think that one of the things that just compels us is that we have a sense that, in some way, by caring about design, we are actually serving humanity. People might think it's a stupid belief, but it's a goal. It's a contribution that we can hope we can make in some small way to culture. If that is true of every image bearer, how much more the people of God in possession of the Holy Spirit? Is that not purpose and mission for you and I? Today and every day that we wake up. But I confess, you know, as I was preparing this sermon, I thought, you know, I think people are just too tired for a sermon on creativity. People are just too worn out. And I was going to be sympathetic to you. But then it occurred to me that these words were spoken to the Israelites who had been in slavery for 400 years. And they're also wandering in the wilderness. And God still says, get on your creativity. Come on, people. Get energized. Be who you were made to be. We're going to raise a barn together. So, I want to end by giving you three things. Three things you might consider doing this week. One, praise our creative God. You will see things that I don't see. He means you to see things that we do. You have your own song of praise to sing. Praise our creative God this week. The second thing is... I would ask you the question I asked the elders. What does creativity look like in your life? What does it look like in your job, in your vocation, in the way that you live at home, in your neighboring, in your avocations, in your hobbies? Just take a little time. Maybe it's three minutes tomorrow when you're sipping on coffee and ask yourself, what does creativity look like in my life? And lastly, ask the Spirit to refresh you. Ask the Spirit to increase your creativity. To be who you've been made to be. So there we conclude our study on the Holy Spirit. Praise God, Father, Son, for the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. We do praise you, Father and Son, for God the Spirit. He brings you to us. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. And we praise you, Holy Spirit, for indwelling us in all the ways the world is still so beautiful. Even though ravaged with sin, so beautiful. How you will not let your glory and beauty be suppressed. Oh, Lord, let it lead us on to worship in you, to be your people in Christ's name. Amen.